there, and welcome to The Brave. I'm your host, Beth and Vincent, and this is the podcast all about resilience. We chat about every aspect of resilience, from mental resilience, emotional, physical, from the mundane to the life-changing, and everything in between. And I do this through inviting guests on the show, and we generally chat about a particular challenge they've overcome, or a particular topic, subject, or have a good old chat with myself and you. Now, this week is a guest-driven episode, as we like to say, and I have Parisa on the show, and we're talking about a uh, long-term chronic pain condition called endometriosis, and it's a condition that only affects women because it's a condition of the female reproductive system. And we'll go into more detail into what it actually involves, but... um, Hopefully this is an episode that's interesting to everyone, regardless of gender, because it's, it's, it's about overcoming an unknown condition in your life that you have a lot of kind of physical manifestations of it. So there's a lot, it's chronic pain, it's present for me personally anywhere between 25 to 50% of the time if I'm really unlucky. And to be honest, a lot of dealing with it is mental and a lot of the effect of it is mental and that's something we talk about on the show but anyway I will let the wonderful Parisa get stuck into it we'll go to our interview and I really hope you enjoy it Hi I'm Parisa Hosseini-Sek I'm the head of HR at OneCom the UK's largest independent business telecoms provider Um, and I'm based in Hampshire at our head office really excited to talk to you about a subject that's pretty close to my heart, which is endometriosis um, and how that's linked to my personal resilience. Amazing. Thank you so much. Pleasure to have you here. So for anyone who hasn't come across the term before, could you just explain a little bit about what endometriosis is? Yeah, so um, it's effectively a female reproductive health condition that it, in simple terms, because it's quite a complex thing. It's something I've talked about a lot with other friends as well who've also got the condition and we always have to stop and think, right, how do you even explain this in the simplest way? Um, it's effectively where, you know, on a monthly cycle, the lining of the uterus grows in preparation for if you are to get pregnant and when you're not, then it um, comes away and that results in a period. With endometriosis, that lining or the cells that form that lining grow outside of the uterus. So when the hormones are released to say, right, we're going to have a period now, um, they react in the same way, except that they've got nowhere to escape like the period would otherwise. So what that then happens is it causes inflammation, it causes pain, and then subsequently it creates like sticky scar tissue and adhesions, which can then cause like the organs to stick together so um symptoms then from there is you know significant pain quite significant inflammation as well as well as then for some people infertility problems um there's a whole host of symptoms associated with it so it's a pretty nasty condition but it's not massively well known no and i actually suffer from it personally as well so um it's actually more common than you think i think they say it's about one in ten women have it yeah that's right and i think the thing that helps for me in terms of putting it into context is it affects as many women in the uk as women who are affected by diabetes in the uk 
So, you know, people are pretty familiar with diabetes as a condition. So when you hear then that it affects as many women that have diabetes as it does for endometriosis, that, you know, that brings it to life a bit more. And the symptoms can be particularly debilitating and on a long-term kind of chronic basis. And as far as I'm aware, there is no cure for it. Yeah, that's right. But I think the the hardest thing is that there's not a lot of... Um, there's, a, there's not a lot known about what causes endometriosis. So, you know, the frustrating thing that I find is perhaps if there was more funding into research on it, then maybe they could find something that could cure it. But at the moment, it's the only way that they can treat it is by managing the symptoms. So, you know, there's a whole host of things like hormone therapies up to the most extreme, which is surgery. Um, and I've now had two surgeries and I've got a great consultant um, who I see reasonably regularly, but you know, the last time I saw him, he suggested perhaps we need to do surgery again. And I said, you know what, I'd really like to wait until it gets so bad again that I can't cope, then let's talk surgery. Because the for me, second surgery was really hard to recover from. And I guess it's when you think about it, you're going through um, the same places, creating scar tissue each time, so it's gonna make it worse, but then, the flip side is you do that to make it better. So it's a real, it's, it's just frustrating. Yeah, and I think the fact it, it doesn't have a cure is, is what I personally find frustrating because I almost think like, I'm going to have this for the rest of my life. Well, until menopause, hopefully there'll be relief after then. But unless you choose to basically have a hysterectomy, pretty much the only thing they say that can remove it because you're removing the source. There's nothing yeah. else you can do. And in terms of a kind of day-to-day basis, how it affects you, could you just talk a little bit about that, please? So the thing that I find funny with it, which when when I've spoken to some friends that I have now made who happen to have endometriosis as well, um, is that one day you can almost completely forget that you've got it. So you could have a day where you feel absolutely normal and you can carry out all the activities you want that you ordinarily would and you wouldn't know and then there are other times where you've got a flare up and it is so debilitating that you think the world is ending it's it sounds dramatic but i think it's the the severity of the physical symptoms that have then such an impact on particularly for me my mental health with it um it really tests me when it's bad but you're obviously someone who's had a kind of amazing career and, you know, you've climbed a career louder. How have you found kind of managing your kind of aspirations and your dreams and also having this condition? Because it's something I've I've really found quite difficult because I don't want to be the sick person. Yeah, it's really hard and it's it's a funny one because, you know, working in HR we're supposed to be really great at acknowledging these things and being compassionate towards it. I think I'm not so great at the self-compassion and I'm also quite a stubborn person. So I'm not a very good patient. So if I'm unwell, I get quite fed up quite quickly. I don't like being ill. um, And I kind of refuse to let things stop me, which isn't always great. So there's probably times where I would have done better had I just taken some time out and rested. Um, But generally, I try to push through. So it's the same. And it's the same thing that I've heard from, again, other friends with the condition or similar conditions. You know, you you push through to a point where you think, okay, I'm going to wait till it gets really bad before I take a painkiller. Whereas actually, the best way to manage it is to take painkillers as soon as you notice the start of the minor symptoms. So, um, 
trying to learn how to manage it is always challenging. I think stubbornness is probably a part of it because I refuse to let it define me. So it's something that I'm not necessarily, you know, I wouldn't shout about the fact that this is something I've got, but I know that contradicts with then why I'm talking about it on the podcast. But for me, it's also that frustration that because it's not spoken enough about, there are probably more people out there who've got it that haven't gone and sought help because we don't talk about issues like this enough. And, you know, it's not normal to have symptoms like this, but you almost think that it is normal because you've not heard any different. So if I can help by sharing my experiences and other people will then think, do you know what, I'm going to get something checked out, then that's a win. And, you know, I'm a fan of paying it forward. I've had people around me who've been really supportive, who've been really helpful and have given me a lot of information that's helped me when I've been really struggling. So if I could do the same for somebody else, then that would be fantastic. And with your kind of HR hat on, because it's great that you've got that kind of facet to talk about as well. If you're an Mm. employer and you're you know, obviously you're employing hopefully a diverse range of people and people managing chronic pain conditions. What can you do to accommodate them better? I think it's about understanding that with everything as well, when you're only dealing with anything to do with people, it's understanding that every single person is different. There's never a one-size-fits-all approach to anything. And it's the same when it's something like this, when it's a health condition, it's about being led by that person. So being understanding and letting them share with you Um, what they're comfortable to share as well, because sometimes people don't want to talk about these things. Um, And then understanding from them what's going to help them. I think the trouble with things like endometriosis is it's, it's the stuff, because it's a hidden illness as well, you don't see it, it's not something that's very obvious, so you can have people around you suffering with it, and you would never know. Um, So it's, but it's things as well like fatigue that, you wouldn't know otherwise or you wouldn't think about being a side effect of it so it's really important I think that you allow people to um, sort of manage it the best way they can and for me I think possibly one of the the funniest things but one of the ways that I've managed sometimes when I've been in a lot of pain and I've wanted to be in work is I'd go into meetings with a hot water bottle because that would help sort of relieve the pain a bit so you know I was determined to attend the meeting or you know be within um, my office because of whatever reason I had to be there Um, so it would be funny things like you know having a hot water bottle or um, at times where it was particularly bad so before my first surgery I was so swollen that I couldn't fit my normal work clothes so I had to buy stretchy clothes (laughs) and um, you know it's almost to the point where my abdomen was so swollen that I looked pregnant and I had to find clothes that I could fit into and still look appropriate for the workplace. So there's so many varying things that can make it tricky that I think just being understanding and um, compassionate is the best way you can be from an employer perspective. Mm. And you've talked about managing the symptoms from a kind of physical perspective, hot water bottles, Mm. being comfortable. But obviously this takes a mental toll to kind of go through this pain and and know that it's not like it's the flu and it's going to go away, it's going to come back. And how do you kind of deal with that side of things? Yeah, I think that was 
that was probably the hardest part of it for me, particularly. Um, so when it all got bad to the point where I was going to the doctors to try and figure out what was wrong with me because I knew that it wasn't normal to be in the amount of pain that I was in. Um, and having doubt put in your mind by different practitioners who maybe don't know enough about it. I don't want at all for this to come across that I'm criticising the NHS. The NHS has been fantastic and the support that I have got has been great. But unfortunately, what often happens is that if you happen to be in front of someone that doesn't know enough about it to spot the signs, because it isn't well known, then you can get kind of passed around through different routes um, before you actually get a correct diagnosis, which is why it takes, I think, the average of about eight to 10 years for people to get diagnosed. Um, I got lucky eventually, again, because I was stubborn um, and I'd done my reading online and I was pretty certain that it's what I had. Um, so I pushed through and I did things like tracking my symptoms, which helped paint a really clear picture of what the situation was, which then really helped my GP refer me the right way. Um, but going through that process and having that doubt put in your mind, so you know something's wrong, but they're telling you it can't be, or it can't be anything serious, or you know, could you be making it up? Can it really be that bad? And you think, oh, maybe my pain threshold isn't very high or, you know, all these sorts of thoughts that go through your mind until I woke up from my first surgery and they told me I had it. I still didn't think I did, despite all the side effects I was getting and it, you know, it being pretty severe. So all of that takes a massive toll, as well as the fact that when it was bad, I couldn't do any of the normal self-help things that I would do to manage, um, you know, my, my mental well-being. So exercise, at one point I would be able to exercise like six times a week, sometimes twice a day. It got to the point where I couldn't even walk, never mind think about doing exercise. Um, so having that taken away from me was really difficult. And then what I also found was that I developed social anxiety for the first time. Um, and I'm someone that gets my energy from being around people. I love being around people and socialising. So to get to a point where I didn't want to leave my house because I was in fear of the pain and how bad it could get. And then if I wasn't able to get home from wherever I was easily, that created this snowball effect of anxiety for me that meant that I would stop going to things that normally I would enjoy doing. Um, so I think the best thing that I learned through that whole situation was learning to ask for help which is not something I find easy um I really struggle asking for help and then accepting help um and that was the one thing that really helped me because I couldn't do anything else that was normal for me at the time um and having a you know being lucky enough to have a really supportive network of friends um and my family who even though they couldn't all necessarily understand what I was going through, could just be there for me and speak to me when I was having a particularly low moment with it. That really helped. Mm. And obviously this podcast is about resilience. And this is a question I ask everyone who comes on the show. But what does resilience mean to you? Um, I think for me, it's, it's one of those things that is definitely so different for everybody. Uh, but the way I see it is a bit similar to sort of building your fitness. So I really enjoy running. And the more frequently I run and the more often I run, um, the better I get, the faster I get, and the better it is for my breathing. 
if I then have a couple of weeks off, when I go out for that first run again, my chest might be a bit tight. My legs are really going to hurt. Um, and I don't enjoy it as much because I think, well, I'm not as good as I was before. And you have to keep it up to get better. And I think it's the same with building your resilience. So the first time something happens, you might not bounce back as quickly as you might like. But the more times you get tested, the more challenges you face, the better you get at learning what works for you to help you bounce back again. Mm. I really like that answer. That's not one we've had before as well. That's really good. And in terms of kind of where people, so if you are a woman who suspects you might have endometriosis or another kind of um, similar, there are similar-ish disorders kind of all to do with pelvic and period issues. They're so fun. It's great being a woman. (laughs) What advice would you give about going to seek help? Because I think sometimes people can be a bit embarrassed or like you say, almost think, and I remember thinking this, like, oh, it's the pain is normal. And I went to the doctor and the first doctor I saw was like this old crusty man. And he was like, it's normal for young ladies to get pain at this time of the month. And I was like, oh, I've literally fainted and been to hospital. Is that normal? (laughs) So, yeah, what advice would you give to people for making that first step? Um, so the best the best thing I could recommend, which is thankfully what one of my friends suggested to me was to get an app where I could track my periods. So there's a particular app that I use, which is free and you can just track your period cycle on it. But you can also log your symptoms so you can log um your pain if you've got cramps what your mood is like so if you're feeling emotional angry if you've got pms um there's a whole host of things you can log to sort of track what's going on with your cycle what is the app by the way it's called clue for me doing that was the the sort of the turning point for the doctors to say do you know what we've now got enough evidence here to point you to the gynae route because before i think the the trouble with it is that where you've got sort of the female reproductive organs everything else around there is pretty close so your bladder your bowel um your intestines everything is tightly compact so if there's a problem with one thing it could easily be something else and you know part of the challenge is they're going through a process of elimination and often things get misdiagnosed so by keeping a log of your symptoms however it works for you for me it was that app um that really helps them to identify it otherwise if you just go in saying i've got pain then i guess that's why they can often push you down the wrong route and initially for me that was going down the gastro route which absolutely was not right and it just meant that it took a bit longer yeah literally same thing for me yeah they were like oh you have ibs and i'm like i'm pretty sure ibs isn't this painful but okay so the other thing that i would recommend is to believe in yourself so if you feel that there is something wrong push to be listened to and you know fight for your health because you know again I understand that doctors probably see a lot of people throughout the day they've got a lot of things to get through and they're also on tight time scales but if you really believe that there is something wrong push to be heard and um because you know it took for me to break down in tears when the doctor tried to turn me away saying oh this is just something that people deal with it'll go away and I said I I don't understand how you can tell me that this level of pain I'm in is something that I should just deal with day to day um and that was the point where they said okay well we'll push you down the, the gastro route um 
you know, it's really important that if, you, you know, most of us, we know our bodies well, we know what's going on with them, we know what feels normal and what doesn't. So if there is something going on, push to get listened to. Mm. And it's not okay to be in pain one week no. out of every four or more often. I think that was the thing for me. And people talk about this in general with kind of um, women in periods, but we're often kind of ignored. And actually it is, mm. I mean, if you're a woman, you'll know it, but it is really painful that's what I can't stress enough to men is it's not Mm. that kind of trope of like oh on your period feeling a bit miserable wanting chocolate it's like no it really physically hurts it feels like someone's stabbing you yeah it's it's yeah I've had I get a sort of a whole mixture of different levels of pain with it so that constant dull pain and then really intense bursts which almost doubles me over um but what I found as well is that there's there's it's not a correlation that you know um female health practitioners that I've seen are more sympathetic to it sometimes I've found that they can be less sympathetic or less understanding and I'm really fortunate that my gynecology consultant is incredible and he's a man but he's so supportive and so understanding um whereas I had a female consultant who did a um an ultrasound scan for me to test so every so often he wants me to be checked just to make sure that I've not developed cysts as well and this particular scan I had after my first surgery before the second surgery I had and the verdict that she gave me was you don't have endometriosis you're cured and I I was in disbelief because I thought well I've gone down this route I've been told I've got this diagnosis and now you're telling me I don't and I found that really difficult. And then I was paranoid that my consultant would take me off his service and then I would never get treatment again or no one would ever listen to me. Um, Thankfully, I went back to him and he reassured me and, um, you know, then listed me for the next round of surgery that I had, which thankfully so far has worked fantastically and I'm feeling a lot better as a result. Um, but yeah, that self-doubt always creeps in even to the point where before my second surgery, I thought they're going to go in, they're going to find nothing. They've told me I've wasted my time. Um, I've wasted their time. Um, and of course they did find it again because you can't cure it. It does just keep coming back. So the best you can do is suppress it. Um, so yeah, it's like the Terminator. (laughs) It just keeps on coming. But I think that's a really like lovely message about knowing your body advocating for yourself you know Mm. and so often we hear these stories in the media of um you know someone's ended up with cancer and they they were thinking like oh five months ago I knew something was wrong but I didn't go to the doctor and your health is the you know everything without it you're dead so yeah you've got to look after it definitely and I think it's just so important to break down the stigma around female reproductive health um, there's so many issues affecting women and if we don't talk about it we're not going to identify the problems and we're not going to be able to fix it no and I think also there's quite a lot of um, I don't I don't want to say fake news but misinformation about reproductive health especially in like with all the kind of um, abortion news from America and things like that mm. and if we're all kind of educating ourselves about our bodies that also helps inform us about our rights as well. And I think it's kind of twofold. Definitely. Thanks very much for having me, Bethan. Uh, I've been Parisa Hosseini-Sek. And if you're interested in following what I'm up to and the things that I'm talking about, you can follow me on LinkedIn. 
And if you're interested to learn more about endometriosis, Endometriosis UK is a fantastic source of information. They cover fact sheets, they've got a helpline, so it's worth checking out their website. Thank you so much to Parisa for coming on the show and chatting about her experiences. I really hope that was interesting and valuable and I thought there were some great tips and it was great that Parisa could also bring a kind of professional HR view into it as well. I actually found that really useful um, for my own career and all of that kind of stuff. So if you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe it's just uh, whatever player you're on, there'll be a little follow button and that means you just get notified of every new episode when they're released. And also it'd be wonderful if you could leave a star rating and a review. That just lets me know that you've enjoyed it. And also it helps with the algo, the algorithm, <laughs> to basically recommend this to other people as well. So we get to share people's stories more widely and hopefully impact more people and help more people because that's really why I'm doing this. So if you want to find out more about what I'm up to, you can follow me on Twitter at Beth and Vincent. You can also follow the podcast, which is at The Brave Listen. We also have a Facebook page page, website, you can email as well and actually if you're interested in coming on a show and sharing your story please get in touch even if you think it's a really kind of mundane thing not important I would love to hear from you all stories are valid so you can do that through um, hello at bethanvincent.com or so that's my email or you can dm me on twitter or your preferred method of choice it's completely up to you but anyway until next episode i will leave it there hope you enjoy the rest of your day and thank you so much again for listening